Hi everyone, good morning. We are continuing in the Mimer of Az Yashir, which we started yesterday. We are up to the, the numbers got cut off, but the second last line of the first page, line, I think it's 10, uh, 12. And yesterday we introduced the opening verse, which is from Az Yashir, the opening verse of Az Yashir. And then we discussed the questions about Kriyas Yamsuf, what was the purpose of God splitting the sea? If, as we know, all of the Egyptians drowned and therefore they were not able to know Hashem. And if the Jews ended up coming out the same way that they went and they didn't need a crossover. So we're trying to understand what's the reason for the crossing, for the splitting of the sea. We discussed that as we're going to see throughout the Mimer. It's a preparation that was necessary for the Jews to experience before getting the Tyra and becoming a nation. We then discussed the idea that's brought in the Gemara and that's brought in davening, that we have to experience leaving Egypt every single day, that there's an Egypt within every single one of us, and that the Gemara adds to that that we also have to, experience, have to feel as if we have crossed the sea every single day as well. Uh, then we put that aside and we started to talk about that the world is established on three things, on Tyra, on Avaida and on Chasadim, and we are focusing on Avaida. We said Avaida's service represents the service in the Beis Hamikdash, the main service, which was the Karbanas, and the process that we went through with the Karbanas, which was that a person would bring their animal, start a fire, the Khan would start a fire, and then a fire would descend from above to consume their Karban, which, by the way, only happened... I don't think I said it yesterday, but only happened in the first temple. This idea of a miraculous fire descending from heaven, according to Kabbalah, in the shape of a lion. This did not um, happen in the second base of Mikdash, as did many, many of the miracles were not actually experienced in the second base of Mikdash. It was a lot less revealed um, Shekhinah in the second temple. But we said that um, after we no longer had the Karbanis, the service that the world one of the pillars that the world depends on, the service of Avaida, is now in davening. And we said that davening is in place of the, of the korbanas because in a physical process of a sacrifice, we brought a physical animal, started a physical fire, and then a heavenly fire descended and consumed it. And when we pray, we bring our animal soul into the picture, into serving God. We bring it along, we convince it to pray to God as well. And when we do that, that's as if we are sacrificing our animal soul to God. We do our effort, which is like the starting of the fire from below. And then God responds with a fiery love, what we called an avaraba, from above, that descends from above to below down into our consciousness. And we're going to see the significance of this today and connect it hopefully soon with, um, with Chris Yamsuf. Then... That with that, we basically elaborated on. Then we started briefly speaking at the end of last class about this idea of Baruch Atta, that when the tefillah was established and the prayer of Shmonas, right, every single one of the prayers ends with Baruch Atta Hashem, etc., right? Um, who established the Shmonas, right? Does anyone know who established the prayer as we know it today? Hmm? Chana, the idea, so, the, the idea of how we pray, yeah, a lot of how we pray we learn from her, that we pray silently, etc. The Anshak Nasagadola, they were the great assembly um, in the time of the second temple when the Jews returned from the exile 
of Babel, of Babylon, they realized that they had seen the significant, significant change that had occurred to the Jewish people within a span of 70 years. Within 70 years, there was an incredible amount of assimilation of, well, that was the extreme end of it, but of all sorts of, of, of real exile. And it was a very short amount of time going from a Beis HaMikdash and an experience where there was a f- just one example of fiery, um, you know, a fire that descended from heaven to consume their carbonus. These are the same people who experienced that, went into exile for how many generations? Is 70 years? I don't know, two? Like, I don't know how it works. 70 years is one, two, three generations, right? Um, by then, by the time they came back, they were like almost a different nation. And so the Anshay Knesset realized first, A, that we cannot go into another exile unprepared like the first one. We need tools that will prepare us for being without a Beis HaMikdash because Judaism literally revolved around the Beis HaMikdash in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. Like the whole Judaism revolved around that. And suddenly you're taken, taking all the Jews away and saying, stay Jewish. They did not do very well. And so the Anshakanas Sagadoila established prayer. Well, they established many things, okay? A lot of what we call the mitzvot banan, the rabbinical commandments that we have, which are put as gates to, you know, to protect the Torah, were established in that time when it was realized that, A, we can't survive the same way, and also, B, based on all the prophecies that were already kind of happening at that time, they knew that the second base of was not going to be standing forever, and the Jews would be cast into another exile. So they started to prepare, and one of the things that they did, Anshay Knesset was establish davening, okay? Um, they established the Shemona and in the Shemona we have this idea of Baruch Atah Hashem, right? In every, sing- every single one of our prayers ends up with Baruch Atah. So, was this, oh, sorry, was this um, Esra and Nehemiah, like who was part of the great assembly who established? Ezra to take Ezra took the Jews back. Um, I don't know if they were specifically part of Anshas Knesset It's possible, it's possible, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It was an assembly made up of many, many different judges and leaders. Um, it would make sense that yes, but I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, okay, so those of you who have been with us since the beginning of the year, we did discuss the idea of what Baruch represents. Does anybody remember? We're always saying Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, blessed, right? Baruch means on a simple, basic level, blessed are you Hashem. But does God need our blessings all day? Like, is that what we're doing? God like needs us to bless him all day? He doesn't need our blessings. So what are we actually doing? And what is the significance of what we're saying when we say Baruch Atta, when we say Baruch? Does anyone remember what other meanings Baruch has other than blessed, to be blessed? To draw down. That's right. The word bricha, for example, which is in the Tanakh. Bricha means a pool and not necessarily a swimming pool as we know it today, although in modern Hebrew, bricha is a modern day swimming pool, but a pool of water that was gathered and drawn down from different streams and places into down into one pool, right? So bricha means this idea of drawing down. Also, it's brought, um, I think it's in the Mishnah, lahav riches hagefen. Um, again, I, I don't know exactly how this works, but it's called lahavrichas agefen to like when you take a vine and you want to like replant it, you draw it down into the soil again. It's called lahavrichas agefen to draw it down. There's a there's a word in English for it, but I don't remember what it is. When you do something with the vine of the grapes, um, and so baruch means to bless. On a deeper level, what we're saying when we say baruch is that we're drawing down. We're drawing down a certain level of godliness from above, from a state of concealment, from that which is beyond us. 
down into our consciousness and into our lives. Baruch atah Hashem. And that is what happened when they brought the Karbanas. We did our part. We brought our animal. We started the fire down here. And then got, we drew down from above a fire from above down below into, into our carbon. And when we're davening, that same thing happens. We do our effort. We show up to the davening. We convince our animal soul to serve God, to, to pray to God, to come along for the ride, to be literally to convince it that God is good for him as well. And when we do that and we do our part, we show up, we are then given a gift of being able to draw down Baruch HaTashem, to be able to draw down a, conscious, a godly consciousness and revelation from above, from a state of concealment down into our lives. And we're going to elaborate on that over here. Specifically, what level are we drawing down from what level to what level? Okay. And we said that we're going to go into these two new terms that we have not learned before, which are Alma Discasia and Alma Galia, the hidden world and the revealed world. And this is going to start getting us into a bit of the, basically the two main terms that we need to understand in order to understand Kriya Siyamsov are these terms. This was all an introduction to coming to these terms because we need to know what are we drawing down from where to where. We see that in our prayers, in our davening, that we're drawing down or receiving a level of godly consciousness from one world into another, Okay. Questions or comments on that? And this was kind of like a recap and then also a bit of an introduction to what we're going to go into. Is that clear so far? Okay. So we're on line 12. I'm going to read again one or two things that we finished off with uh, yesterday. So actually, let's go to line 11 after the full stop. How do you say that? After the period for you Americans. Ach ha'inyan. So this idea that we just spoke about, that we had the Karbanais, we had a fire that descended from above to below to the Mizbeach, and that we established the prayer in the place of the Karbanais. But the idea of all of this is, this is, Asher Tiknu B'Shmonasre, that we know that the Ansheknes Sakudola established in the prayer of Shmonasre, Lomar, that we should say, Kol Abrachot, with all of the blessings, Baruch Ata Hashem. Blessed are you, Hashem. And this is like what is written in Tehillim, chapter 106, where David there says, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Elokei Yisrael, the God of the Jewish people, Min HaOlam, from the world, Va'ad HaOlam, until the world, and I think it ends off with Vamar, something, Hallelujah. Um, from the world, blessed are you Hashem, the God of the Jewish people, from the world until the world. From what world until what world? So now we're going to go into Zahar. Now we're going to go into Kabbalah. And now we're going to see how Hasidus explains these ideas of drawing down of the significance of Baruch. We're not just blessing God. We're actually drawing down a certain level of God from a state of aloofness, of concealment, into a state that we can actually consciously experience. So perish. This means, this verse, blessed are you Hashem from the world until the world. From what world until what world? We would think that we are, there's only one world, right? Me, Alma Deskasia, from the world called the world of concealment, La Alma Galia, into the world which we call the world of revelation. Dahainu, which means more terms from Kabbalah, Mipchinas, from the level of Soivav Kalalmin. This is an abbreviation for Soivav Kalalmin, the light which surrounds the worlds. Le, to the light which permeates within the worlds. So again, for those of you who 
have been learning with us, we did learn about Sova Kalaman and Mamale Kalaman. So what you need to know is that Almadis Gasia is synonymous with Sovev Kalaman. Almadis Galia is synonymous with Mamale Kalaman. But let's do a bit of a recap, okay? When we say Sovev Kalaman, we're talking about the godly light, so the expression of God that is so lofty that it surrounds the worlds. What does it mean it surrounds the worlds? It's too lofty to be experienced in a revealed way. And this is the light of God that is used as a general, all-encompassing light to bring the world into being. We, I think we, we brought about three or four definitions for this light. It's infinite. It's, I guess we can use the word indiscriminate. It gives to everything equally, right? It's concealed because it's so high we can't experience it. And maybe there was a fourth one. Um, it's infinite. Okay, let's go with three, okay? <laughs> so it's, Sov of Kalaman is a light an expression of Hashem, which Hashem uses to literally bring the world into being, but it's infinite, it's indiscriminate, it gives to everything equally, and it's hidden. It's not overtly experienced. Mamale Kolomin literally means the light of God that permeates, that fills the worlds, is the exact opposite. So when Sova Kolomin is unlimited, Mamale Kolomin is a limited light of God. It is discriminate, it gives to everything based on how much it can receive, based on how big the vessel is, that's how much light goes in, and it's revealed. It's a light of Hashem that we can actually experience. There are, there are, we can look at another person, for example, and, it's, and see that they have some sort of life force that's giving, literally that, uh, some sort of soul power that's giving them life, right? Most people believe in some sort of soul, right? You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be very learned because there is some sort of life and energy that we see within the world that's causing it to grow and to move and to change. And we see there's some sort of life there. That's the mamalekal almond light that we can, very often we can see it. It's revealed. And that, and that is the exact opposite of Sov of Kalamin. That's the individualized life that God gives to every creation. Okay? When we speak about Alma de Iskasia, we're talking about the concealed world. So the light of God that is present here, that is bringing the world into being, is an entire perspective that we do not experience, mainly because it's too high for us to experience. It's too lofty. It's too much light. If we would experience that all the time, we would become one with that light and we wouldn't be able to exist as we do as separate beings. <coughs> that is called Amadiskasya. So a, a distinction I would put between Sovav Kalaman and Amadiskasya, and it's my distinction, so take it with a grain of salt, okay, would be that when we talk about Amadiskasya, we're talking about a perspective, a perspective on the world that sees the world from this perspective of God's unlimited, unfiltered light. And I'll talk about, we're going to elaborate with some Mishalim and examples of what that perspective actually looks like. So we talk about Sovav Kalama, we're talking about the godly energy that God literally uses to bring the world into being. And Amadeus Gassi is the perspective that one can see the world with, the lenses which you can see the world with based on this light. Does that, does that make sense, the distinction there? Can you say that again? Sure. So when we talk about Sovav Kalama, we're speaking about the light that the energy that Hashem uses to bring the world into being with those three things, that it's infinite, it's indiscriminate, and it's concealed. When we talk about Alma Discussia, the hidden world, we're talking about a perspective of the world from this perspective of Sovav Kalaman, seeing the world as God is bringing it into being in this infinite, indiscriminate, unified way. 
And again, we're going to elaborate what that means, a perspective of the world of Alma Discasia. We don't have that perspective, that's, that's for sure. But it's, it's literally, when we talk about these two worlds, this is very important because we're literally saying two worlds. We're talking about the same world, but two perspectives on the same world, okay? Sov of Kalaman and Mamale Kalaman, these two lights of God are both present here equally. There's not one light more than the other, but one is felt and experienced and one is not felt and experienced, but they're both here. And so to these two perspectives of seeing the world from a perspective of Sova Kalaman, again, which we will elaborate what that actually means, and seeing the world from a perspective of the revealed world of Amadis Galia is the same world. To look at the same world and you can be wearing two pairs of glasses. A pair of glasses called the concealed world perspective, Amadis Galia. You could be wearing a glasses that's called the revealed world, Amadis Galia. Okay? That's our perspective. That's our perspective. So we're going we're gonna to elaborate on these two perspectives. I first want to get the definitions down, like just briefly. So Alma de Scalia would be synonymous with Mamale Kolomen, and it's a perspective of the world that is more revealed. Okay, and now let's elaborate on that more. I'm going to give you two more names and terms that are synonymous with this, which are Havaya and Elohim. These are two names of God. The name of Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, right? I don't know why there's even a name for that, but no. <laughs> Tetragrammaton, and the name of Hashem called Elohim. These are the two most famous names of God. As we mentioned before, when we speak about a name of God, why does God have names? God doesn't need names, He's not our buddy. Why does He have names? Because a name is the way that you relate to something else, right? We need a name so we can relate to other people. For by ourselves, we don't need a name. And this is the way that Hashem relates to the world, depending on the name. That's depending on how Hashem relates to the world in that context. Havaya, Yudan He and Vav and He, is synonymous with Sov of Kolomin, the indiscriminate, infinite, concealed light of God that brings the world into being. Havaya comes from the word Lehitavot, which means to bring into being, literally. And it's the light and energy of God that brings the world into being, but in a very infinite, indiscriminate, concealed way. And Elohim is the second name of God, which refers to Mamalekom and the way that God brings the world into being in a more revealed, um, limited, and specific way. Elohim is the same gematria as Hateva. And my husband always does this to like, he's so mean, to like all these little, like, not little, like 13, 14-year-old Bachram who are like repeating like Hasidus and stuff, they're all proud of themselves. He always asks them like, how is Elohim the same gematria as Hateva? Like, and they always get stuck because they take the word Elohim and they use a kuf, right? Because we say Elohim and they're like sitting there and breaking their weight. It's, I know it, it works. And like this Shabbos he did someone so mean. He's like, no, no, I know. Like I learned that it's the same thing. And he's like, okay, so how does it add up? It doesn't add up. And he's like, what's the real name for Elohim? With a hey, right? We just don't say it. Anyway, so if you take, if you actually take the name Elohim with a hey, and you take the word Hateva, not Teva, which means nature, but the nature, Hateva, they're the same gematria, right? The same numerical value if you add the letters up. Nature comes from the name of Elohim, nature as we know it. God, as he invests himself in a limited, specific, revealed way into the world. That's the name that is referred to by Elohim. Okay, so I'm gonna, I can write this really quickly on the board because these three terms are synonymous with each other. They're representing different aspects of the same idea. So we have Alma 
And we're, we're going to allow Alma Descalia, Alma Descalia, we need to elaborate a lot about. We haven't basically said anything about them yet. So if you're not fully following about that, that's really fine. Alma, this is really helpful to have the spelling. Alma Descalia is synonymous with Sovev Kol. Almond is synonymous with Havaya. Alma Descalia would be this, the perspective on the world that's based on this. Sovev Kol would be the light that God uses the energy to bring that world into being. Havaya is the name of Hashem that represents this expression of Him in the world. Okay, so they're synonymous with each other. But they're used in different contexts. Does anyone want me to write English for, for these ideas or? No, I have a question. Sure. Alma Discafia, isn't it with a dollar? Yeah, you're right. What did I write here? Alma? You're right. I have no idea why I put a tough there. That is so, thank you. <laughs> I have no idea why I put Alma de Iscasia. Thank you. Yes. Okay, then on this side we have Alma de Is. We have Mamale Kolomin, the light of God that fills the worlds. It's called Olmin, not Olmin, just because it's Aramaic. And we have the name of Hashem called Elohim. These are two different perspectives of the world, and then we're going to discuss now what those two perspectives actually look like, okay? By bringing a mushal. So far, is this clear? For those of you who are familiar with Sovev and Mamale, you can pretty much, pretty much connect it with the rest of what we've said. And if you're not familiar and it's not clear, just let me know. Okay? So now we're going to read on a little bit, a few more lines, and then we're going to bring an example for Amadeus Kassia and for Amadeus Kalia so we can actually understand what these two worlds represent and what that means that there are two different perspectives on the world. Last line, we said Alma de Escasia, Alma de Escasia are the levels called Sovav Kol Omen and Mamale Kol Omen ki Havaya hu ha'elakim because Havaya is Elokim. The truth is that these two perspectives, these two lights and energies are actually one because God is one and our goal as we're going to see is to draw the perspective of Havaya, bless you, into Elokim. We're going to elaborate on that soon. When a person connects his animal soul, last line on page one. When a person connects his animal soul, to the one God, in the form of a sacrifice, in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, in prayer today, then also, uh, this fire, this level called a fire from above, which comes from the world of Sovav Kal Almin. Shura or Misgala Banafsha becomes rests and becomes revealed in his soul. The Zel Baruch. And this is what we mean when we say Baruch. We're not, yes, we're blessing Hashem. But God again doesn't need our blessing. We need to bless ourselves. When we're saying Baruch, we're blessing ourselves. What are we blessing ourselves with? That this perspective of the infinite level of God, of Sovav Kalam and of Havaya, should be drawn down, Baruch, to draw down, to be drawn down and revealed into our lives and into our hearts and into our souls. Baruch Lashon Hamshacha. Baruch comes from the term of drawing down. 
drawing from where to where, mehahelem, from the concealed, el hagiloi, to the revealed, liyot b'pchinat ata l'noicheach, so we should get to a point where on a level called ata. Baruch, we're drawing down, what are we drawing down to? Ata, who's ata? You, who's you in this context? Hashem. What do we mean when we say you? Why are we calling Hashem you? You only, you, only call somebody by the term you when they're standing right in front of you, right? If they're not right in front of you, you wouldn't say you. You would say he or she or they or them. When you say you, it means the person sitting right in front of you. So what we're trying to do is Baruch, drawing down God from a concealed state to a revealed state within our hearts, to the point that God is on a level called Atta. Atta, you, to the point that God is revealed right in front of us right now so that we can point to God and we can say you. God does not exist now. Our consciousness of God does not exist in a concealed state somewhere else. God has now been drawn down because of our effort of bringing our animal soul along in prayer or in in the sacrifices in the time of the Karbanais to the point that now we can say, Baruch, we're drawing you down. Atta, now you are you are in a state, God, that I can call you, you, that you're right in front of me, you're revealed. And what we're drawing from to, that we're going to elaborate now with a marshal about these two wells of Alma Discasia and Alma Discalia by continuing to the next paragraph. Any questions or comments so far on what we've said and what we've read? I hope that means it's clear, yeah? Yeah? Okay, good. It's unfortunate we do have these line numbers, but is it just by me that they're cut off or by everybody? Yeah. They're cut off. It's like, um, Okay, so we're on the second paragraph and we don't even have page numbers of the second page. And now we're going to bring physical examples from this world to explain to us these two perspectives that we call the concealed world and the revealed world. Before going inside... I'll tell it to you outside and then we'll, we'll see it inside. The example that's brought for the concealed world is the sea. What we call yam, the ocean, the sea. For a few reasons. Why, what would the connection do you think be between concealment, a concealed world, and the sea? The sea is concealed. What is it concealed? What is it concealing or what is concealed about it? Um, isn't it like one of the things that we know the least about? Like we don't know half of the things going on underwater right now. Like, right. We have no idea what's yeah. Going. We have no idea. That's very true. It's no biggest fear. <laughs> really? That they're just gonna rise up? <laughs> no, just the ocean. Undoubtedly. <laughs> when you when you like actually, oh God, you can look at the ocean and literally just see water, and that's it. And that's usually what we see, unless you're kind of thinking deeply into this, right? But if you actually know what you're looking at, that inside the sea, that you're looking at just calm blue waters, there's an entire world. There's an entire world in the sea. You can start to think of it differently. So when we call the concealed world, one of the reasons why the example would be the sea is exactly as you said, that the sea conceals the world that exists within it. You look at the water, it looks like calm, blue, lovely, there's an entire world that exists underneath. Another reason why the connection between Amadistasia and the sea is because every single thing that lives and breathes and exists inside the ocean depends on water and is submerged within the water all the time, right? That's why we use the term, I think it's the water that you swim in, right? 
It's like when something becomes just, when something just becomes so innate and obvious to you, it's like, it's just like the water that you're breathing, right? The, the fish exist within their source of life. The source of life for all of the creatures in the ocean is water, just like for us, it's, it's air and it's earth as we're going to see. And they're submerged completely within the water if they want to stay alive. Almost all of the creatures there. There are a few exceptions that some can come out and then have to come back in. But as a general rule, the creatures that live in the sea are dependent on the water and totally submerged within this water. I think those would be the two for now. The, that would be the marshal for Amadeus Garcia, okay? What we call the nimshal, the lesson for this analogy, is the world of concealed world. The concealed world is a perspective. You can look at this world, it's not a different world, we're not taking it to a different universe over here. You can look at this world for, with the perspective of Amadeus Garcia. One, just as you can look at the water and you don't realize all that's inside, you see just oneness. You look at the water and you see one thing. You see the ocean. What am I looking at? The ocean. You're not looking at the ocean. You're looking at an entire world. But we said, well, I'm looking at the ocean. I'm looking at one thing. So there's a unity. There's a unity when it comes to the ocean that you look at it and you see just one thing. I'm looking at the ocean. I'm looking at the water. Even though there are many, many, many separate entities that exist there. That's number one. Number two, just as the fish are completely submerged within their source of life, you can look at this world and you can see that what is our source of life constantly, always, for everything equally? Torah. Torah. Take that a bit further. What's Torah? God. God. God is one with the Torah. The Torah is one with God. So the fish clearly, clearly see their source of life. They're submerged within a totally. And it's a unified idea. So... You can look at the world and you can see separate things. You can see people and animals and chairs and tables and nature and trees and grass and sky and birds, right? Or you can look at the... And these are all separate things, one from the other. Or you can look in the world and see like an ocean, one thing. What is the one thing? You see God, okay? So the perspective of Amadeus Gassia, first of all, just putting it out there, we don't see the world this way, okay? We don't live in the ocean. We're going to see our perspective is that of dry land, but the perspective of Amadeus Garcia is look, putting on a pair of glasses where you look at the world and you see that everything is God. It's all one thing. And every single thing there that's one is dependent totally, constantly on its source, which is God. Just as you can look at the water and you see one thing. You see water. Even though there's a whole world and a lot of distinction and separateness there, you see oneness. And the creatures that live there are totally immersed and submerged and clearly, clearly dependent on their source of life on the water. This is a perspective so of like Amadeus Garcia. If we were able to see the oneness that we live in, we'd have to be outside of our world. Kind of like, Whoa. we have to be outside the ocean to see that it's one. We'd have to be outside but of the ocean. It, so actually see the oneness. I would, I would correct you there that even the fish that exist within the sea see some sort of oneness. But it's a different kind of oneness. Like right, so they don't, right, they don't see like the water, right? They don't see that. But within the mushal here, that isn't going to be relevant, that you have to be outside of it to be able to see it. Here, you, you're in it and you see it, just like the fish are just completely submerged within the water. They know clearly, 
I cannot be separated from my source of life for a moment. I'm within it. So us, so with this perspective of Amadiscasia, like, yeah, so a fish, from the perspective of the fish, it might see another fish. So that then wouldn't be the accurate thing for, for, for the first part of the analogy. That would be how we see the water as one thing. And then the second would be that the fish sees its source of life constantly. So too, the, this perspective sees constantly the source of life as being God. Do you have a question? I was just going to say, I've been scuba diving. Oh. And so when you go scuba diving, you, there's, something, there's something that happens in your awareness that you completely get disconnected from the reality or the world that you know it. Yeah. And you're in this whole other, it's almost like you're not even connected to the soul that you are in this world. And yeah. Under this whole other world. My yeah. parents were super diving. I didn't. I don't think they had. This. You don't think they had the same experience? <laughs> I also did actually. It's a, it's absolutely surreal. It's like you you don't you, you lose yourself almost, right? It's very weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Alma. Literally, Alma Discasia literally means, in Aramaic, the concealed world. And here it gets a bit tricky, okay? Because usually, when we talk about concealment versus revelation, the concealment would be God being concealed, and the revelation would be God being revealed. But here we're talking about the opposite. The world of concealment is a world where it's all God. Okay, and where you only see God. And the reason it's called the world of concealment is because that perspective is concealed from us. <coughs> the world of revelation is actually where God is not as revealed. The oneness and unity and dependence on God is actually concealed, but that is revealed to us. So it's called the revealed world. So there is actually a little bit of like a possibility for a mix up there. I actually just thought of the, the grammar in my head. In Aramaic, it's with a dalit, right? Dalit yes. means that. So it's the world that is concealed, not the world of concealment. Ah, okay. Yeah. The, a world that is concealed and a world that is revealed. Yeah. Literally just thought of that. Yeah. Exactly. And that is helpful then. Yeah, because world of concealment, what's concealment? When we talk, we usually within the context of Torah and Chassidus, concealment means God being concealed. Here it's the opposite. The world of concealment means a world, when you think about the ocean, it's a world of oneness. It's a perspective of absolute oneness, unity, and utter, utter total dependence on your source of life, which is God. And that is, as concealed we see, from us. concealed from us. So we're taking that from something from a concealed state to a revealed state, just like when we speak about sova kol almin. When we think, I've, 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 I've clarified this to you before, that usually sova means surround. So you can literally think of like a globe and the light of God surrounding the globe. That is not accurate. That is not what we mean when we say a light of God that surrounds the world. We mean a light of God that is concealed. That doesn't permeate. What does it mean? It doesn't fill the world. It doesn't fill the consciousness of the world in a revealed way. Okay? As opposed to the, the light of God that fills the world, you could think, oh, that light goes inside, right? They're both inside. It doesn't mean inside versus outside. It means the light that fills the world, fills the world's consciousness in a revealed way. Okay? So it's important to remember those those distinctions. So there's this one thing I saw, I've seen it a few times, and I've, I think I've said it before in other classes, but um, of like two fish talking to each other and being like, do you believe in water? And then another fish being like, no. Mm. Like, 
And then the fish being like, well, why? Like, we can't survive without it. And, like, as humans, when we're reading that, we're like, that's silly. Like, of course water exists. Like, you're living right. in it. You can't breathe without it. Right. Um, and it's the same with <coughs> twins in a womb. They say the same thing. Do you believe in mom? And then the twin, oh. the twin goes, absolutely not. <laughs> and then when they come out, they go, oh, wait, there is a mom. <laughs> There's you know a mom. I mean? That's like, yeah. so funny. And it, it's yeah. just, I think it's so that's actually, again, an interesting thing where within that marshal, it wouldn't translate into Amadiscasia because you would think you're submerged within it. You don't even realize what you're submerged within. But here it's, no, no, you're submerged within it. You're totally aware constantly of your source of light. You can, right, you can, you can take I'm submerged in it with two different ways. You can say, I'm totally submerged in it, therefore I forget that I'm submerged in it because I take it for granted. Or I'm totally submerged in it, so I'm not able to forget my source of life because it's just right here constantly. I also think that that's so we're going to take the second in this context. I yeah. think that's simply a human experience of being involved, so involved in something that you forget that you're involved in it. I don't right. think there's, like... Yeah, yeah. That, that's why we don't live in Almadiscasia. Not that an animal necessarily feels, but... There's a word for this, by the way, when you're so involved in like your work or like relationship or something that you actually are blind to all of it. Like you're, when it's so close, you it becomes just it. one with you. Yeah, you have to like distance yourself, which is similar to like how Moshe had to step away from the bush to like see the bush. We're going to talk about Moshe as Alma discusses. We're going to see. He's one of the unique, unique souls that actually saw the world from this perspective. Um, so everything that you're saying, that it's a unique human experience to actually take for granted that which we are dependent on constantly, we're going to see now in the example of Alma Scalia. So now, what's, if the example for Alma Scalia is the water, what would the um, example for Alma Scalia be? The earth. Okay? The 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 world is made up of earth and water. Human beings, animals, plants, birds are all dependent on the earth for their survival, for their life. Because we get our food from the earth. And we get a lot of other things, but essentially we, we get our food from the earth and we need that to survive. We are dependent on the earth as much as a fish is dependent on water. However, those who live on dry land are not submerged within the earth. Being submerged within the earth actually represents death. When something dies, it becomes covered totally in the earth, within its source of life. But living in the experience of a person, an animal, or a creature on dry land, you're depend- excuse me, dependent totally on the earth, but you're above it. To the point that we've actually come up with ways that we can be suspended above the earth for a very, very long time. And to the point that we have... F- Birds, for example, which are totally dependent on the earth, right? They need the worms and the sustenance and all the things that come from the earth to survive, but they're able to fly up and away. They're not constantly submerged within their source of life, right? To the point, again, that we can forget what our source of life is because we're not submerged within it. We walk above it. And if you would look, okay, in an airplane, okay, not in an airplane, but if you would look, just like you take a step back, you look at the sea, which has a whole world in it, but you see oneness, you see water, if you would take a step back and look at the dry land, what would you see? You would see giraffes and people. I don't know why I thought of giraffes. <laughs> and I really want to go to safari. <laughs> and uh, trees and birds. You see all these individual things that survive on top of the earth, right? You don't see unity when you look at the life that exists on dry land. And the experience of the creatures on the dry land don't don't see their total dependence on the earth because they're able to separate themselves from the earth even though they're as dependent on the earth as a fish is on water, right? We cannot separate ourselves from the earth. We need the things that the earth provides. 
This would be a perspective of what we call almadiskalia, the reveal, a world that is revealed. That's actually more helpful to say it that way. A world that is revealed. What is the perspective and the consciousness that we experience in a tangible, revealed way? One of separateness, separateness from each other, and separateness from our source. We look at the different creatures and we see them as distinct creations. And we look at our source, which is God, and we say, well, I don't know, am I really dependent on him? Am I not? It's a question. Because we are walking upright above the ground. So it's not a reality that we're submerged in constantly. And that would be Amadeus Scalia. That we can all relate to much more. That is when we wake up in the morning, we see separateness and we see ourselves and others as living independent of God. That is the revealed conscious state that we experience on a daily basis. That would be called Amadeus Scalia. Make sense? That's more relatable, right? So again, it's important to remember these these two examples. Dry land represents Amadiscalia for two reasons. Because when you look at the creations, that the creatures that live on the dry land, they look separate one from the other. And they look separate from their source of life, the earth, because they're above it. They're able to be even suspended above it without touching it for certain periods of time. The... The ocean represents Amadiscasia for two reasons. Because you look at the ocean and you see oneness, you see water, you don't see the distinct creatures that live separately within it. You see oneness and unity. And the fish, their experience of the fish in the sea is being totally submerged constantly within their source of life. It's very, very clear what they're dependent on, which is the water. Which is why even though we can start to think, oh, am I really dependent on the water or not? You don't typically see fish saying, let me try this out. I don't think I actually need the water and jumping out. Like they don't do that. They know enough about how dependent they are on water that they stay inside the water, right? At all costs, they don't want to leave, they don't want to leave the water. So that is their perspective. They clearly see their source of life because they're one and submerged in it. And these are these two perspectives that we can have of the same world over here, perspective of the hidden world, the world that is hidden, and of the world that is that is revealed. We will read this inside next week because our time is up for today. So we're going to, everything that we just said, this example of the sea and of the earth is all going to be brought inside. And then we are going to start to relate this idea of the sea and of the earth to, a little bit later, but still to, to the splitting of the sea, right? There was a sea, there was dry land, and they were, we were experiencing it at the same time. So we're going to talk about, about that. And we're going to elaborate on Sunday specifically, what does it mean to draw down from the concealed world to the revealed world, now that we know what these two things represent. What do we mean when we're saying Baruch Hatam, drawing from the concealed world to the revealed world, what does it actually practically look like and mean in our day-to-day life and in our service of God? So have a wonderful Shabbos. Any questions or comments on what I've said here? It's clear? Amazing. Awesome.